0: again for being here. We're glad that you're with us. And uh, it's Valentine's Day. You've heard that already. I'm sure you figured that out. And we're in the book of Ruth. We're actually going to wrap up Ruth. So it's perfect timing for Valentine's Day. For all you couples out there, whether you're in the building or they're at home, it's just Ruth, buckle in. I hope you enjoy it. We're actually going to cover two chapters. We're going to wrap it up. But before we jump into that, I just want to get back to you on something I already reported back last Sunday that uh, many of you had given gifts to help uh, relieve the suffering of some people that were refugees from a civil war in Myanmar, some Burmese Karen tribe people, and, and we've done that, and I reported that back and, and showed you some of those images. Since that time, even more money has come in. Since that time, a, a refugee... Camp has burned to the ground under suspicious circumstances, and, and with that extra money, we're able to help extra people. So, I just want to say thank you uh, to all that. But we're, we're so thank you for your generosity. As we look at the book of Ruth, there's a, a phrase that shows up that, that really is, is a simple phrase, and we don't think about it that way, but it's actually, I think, in a way, packed with theology. It's the phrase, it just so happened. We've already seen that in chapter 2. It just so happened. What that is, is, is really that's a phrase that talks about the providence of God. It just so happened. This just so happened. And, and we used to use that word, providence of God, a lot more. For example, in the, when, when our country was founded the word providence was actually written into our documents. Remember that? With capital P, providence, we're talking about God in our founding documents, that God uses details, that God uses everyday events to bring about his purposes. Now, I know a lot of people say, well, he's God, and and I want to see miracles. Sometimes I'll talk to people about you know, where they stand with God and maybe they question God's existence and they'll say something like, hey, when I see a miracle, when I see something miraculous, then I'll know that God is there. But that's not how God normally operates. A miracle technically is when God suspends the natural laws of our universe and does something that defies all that, stops water, you know, piles it up, stuff like that. We see those occasionally in the Old and New Testament. And God can do miracles, but normally God works through everyday events to bring about his purposes. That's the normal way, the the way God uses most often for his will to be done. And and I want you to think about that As we dive back into Ruth. Now, just want to remind everybody where we're at. Little recap. This guy, Elimelech, he's a Jewish man. They're they're in the time of the judges. They get close to God, drift from God. They get, when they drift from God, bad things happen. They happen to be in a time of famine. Elimelech fails to trust God and he decides, I'm getting out of here and so he leaves the country, and he goes to the enemy of Israel, a country called No Moab that's not far away. But he not only goes there, he takes his wife and his two sons. And when he gets there, things really just get worse for him. He's there, uh, the family's there 10 years, and the first thing that happens is Elimelech dies. And then his two sons, against the law of God, take pagan Moabite women as wives, And then, eventually, both sons die in this 10-year span, and and that leaves Naomi in a perilous situation. She has no means of survival, no way to feed herself, and so she decides that she is going to go back to Israel. Even though nothing's waiting, much waiting there for her, she's going to go back, she hears the famine's over, and she starts returning to, to, to Israel. Her two daughters-in-law also start on the journey with her, but she tells them, hey, you guys, you need to go back to your families of origin, and then you need to get remarried and have a normal life. I mean, that's your only shot at happiness here, because if you come with me, it's going to be bleak. And one of the daughters-in-law does that, but the other one, Ruth, she says, no, I'm going with you. As a matter of fact, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to care for you. I'm going to make your people my people, your country, my country, and more significantly, your God, my God. And so she comes back with Naomi. When Naomi gets to Israel, specifically a little back then uh, town called Bethlehem that nobody had much significance for but because that's before everything else that happens in Bethlehem, when they get back to Bethlehem, she says, hey, don't call me Naomi anymore, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, bitter, because I left full, and now 10 years later, I'm coming back empty. She says, I have nothing. And so that sets up the situation and where, where she's at. Now, but that when they arrive there, although Naomi is broken and, and she's depressed, she's bitter, we can see just a glimmer of light, because when she gets there, it just so happens that they arrive in Bethlehem at, at the beginning of the barley harvest. And then it just so happens that Ruth, when she goes out to glean, pick up the leftovers of the field, it just so happens that she goes to a field that belongs to a relative. And then it just so happens that. Boaz, this man who's there, notices Ruth and talks to her. And then it just so happened that Boaz has heard about Ruth's commitment to to take care of her mother-in-law and how she left the foreign gods and came to serve the God of Israel and take care of Naomi. And so all that happens. And, And Boaz is a man of noble character, it tells us, who follows God's commands. So he's all about what the law said, take care of the foreigner, take care of the widow, take care of the orphans. He's doing all that. And that's how this all plays out. And he actually prays that God will reward Ruth. And so right before we dive in, though, we need to know something about this a law in the Old Testament that's key to everything that plays out. It's the law of a family redeemer or the law of a kinsman redeemer. And this was a law written in for ancient times because remember, in ancient times, pretty much almost everybody lived as farmers. And if you didn't have land, you didn't have a way to support yourself. And so when the people left Egypt and came in to the land, the land was divided up by tribe, by clan, by family, so everybody had land. But what would happen is if somebody became impoverished, they might sell their land. If they became indebted, you know, the wheels fell off, who knows what happened. They, if they became indebted, they could sell their land. But the law was written, kinsman redeemer meant that the closest relative of that person who sold the land could buy the land back, repurchase the land forever it went. He had the right to do that. The the seller couldn't refuse. And he could buy the land back for the family. That's why it only applied to the closest relative. And really, that was a way to protect families and widows. But during this time in history, the time of the judges, the time of Ruth, there was also another law attached to the law of the kinsman redeemer. And that was a a Leverite law. And Leverite comes not from the family of Levi or anything like that. It's just a Latin word that means brother. It's the brother law. And it meant this. If a, a man died, say a young man dies, he hasn't had any children yet. His widow had the right to remarry one of the, the deceased man's, her, hus- her deceased husband's younger, usually younger brothers who was unmarried that he would come and marry her. And then when, he came, when, he, when they got married and had a child, that first child was then, if it was a male, named after the deceased brother. And then that child would be raised as the deceased brother's child and would receive the deceased brother's full inheritance. But then they would have other kids and that would be the, the brother's. So you got that? So that and, and all that was, so when people lost land, they had a way of getting it back. But both people had to agree. As a matter of fact, if the widow didn't want to do that, she didn't have to. And if a brother didn't want to do that, it was sort of an issue. In the law, it allowed for her, the widow, to publicly shame the brother that he didn't take care of his brother's widow. And, and so that would happen. You can read about that if you want, if you want to go into those details. So that's kind of what's happening. That's the setup. And, and you could imagine in days like that, that when, when an elder brother said, hey, I found somebody I want to marry, all the other brothers are going, we want to know who. You know, we, we want to check this out. We want to make, because we could end up married to this person. So all of a sudden families had this vested interest in what was going on with marriage, you could see the family tension there, right? And so that's kind of what's happening there. That's the kinsman redeemer. And not only that could he sell land, he could get in, it's a little more complicated. He could even sell himself into slavery and and get money that way. And it would be a lot like what happened in the colonial period in America, where a bunch of people from Europe Would say, Hey, I don't have anything. I need to get out of here. I'm just a tenant farmer. I can barely feed myself. Well, they'd hear somebody was going to America. They would attach themselves to that person and say, If you pay for my way to go with you to America, I will serve you for 10 years or or 15 or 20. And that would be a law. And so they would voluntarily do that just to pay for the passage to get to America, for example. And then they would take it from there. So that's kind of what's going on. Boaz is one of those family members. All right, so now we're ready. And the last two chapters of Ruth, there's only four, so this second half of Ruth, it plays out like a um, Valentine documentary, okay? It's a true Valentine documentary. It all plays out, and it's in four scenes. All right, so you with me? The last two chapters, we're gonna look at it in four different scenes. So first, scene one. Naomi has an idea. And, he, and the reason she comes up with this, this idea, this plan is because she, Naomi, the mother-in-law, she loves Ruth. I mean, Ruth has given up everything to care for her. And Ruth says, I'm going to care for you for life. And so Naomi is figuring out a way that Ruth could be blessed. What could she do for her? Now, and she understands this because she's a Jewish person. She understands this law, this family law. So The good news is that she knows, oh, Ruth has met Boaz, and Boaz is a close family relative. This is great news. The bad news for Naomi is now it's been two months since she's met Boaz, and although Boaz protected her and provided for her, now everything's winding to an end regarding the harvest, and uh, she... Boaz and Ruth are not going to be seeing each other anymore. He's not going to be protecting her anymore. And so the bad news for her is Boaz hasn't done anything to take this to the next level. Okay, That's the way Naomi's thinking. So she comes up with a plan. And here's the idea. The harvest is in, but they haven't disposed of all the crops yet. So they're threshing, meaning they're getting the grain. They bring it in. They thresh it. They separate the grain From the wheat. And and before they get rid of the grain or sell the grain or permanently store the grain, they protect it. And so it was custom that the owner or the threshers would then sleep sort of on the edges of the pile of grain so that nobody would steal it until they got it all taken care of. So Naomi has this idea. And the idea is for Boaz to notice Ruth in a different way. And so she's gonna tell Ruth. Put on your best clothes. And really that means she's going to take off her grieving clothes of a widow. She's going to take off her all black stuff that she's been wearing because she lost her husband. Who knows when? We don't know exactly when that happened, but more than two months ago. And put on your best clothes. And well, I'll just read it for you. Here's how it goes. Ruth 3, beginning with verse 1. And when she does that, that's going to be a sign that she's no longer grieving and she's available. All right, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, said to Ruth, "My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it that it may be well with you? Now is not Boaz our kinsman, with whose maids you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes." And go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he's finished eating and drinking. It shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what you shall do. She said to her, all that you say, I will do. Now, you get the picture here? This sounds a little shady. She's going to leave at night. She's going to figure out where Boaz is sleeping on the grain pile, because there'll be other people kind of around. And then she's going to go lay down at his feet. And she's going to, But as she does that, she's going to uncover his feet. And we're hearing that in English, and we're going, whoa. This sounds like code talk for a sexual encounter. You know, and, that, and i got to tell you, when you read this in the Hebrew, it sounds like code talk for a sexual encounter. It, that's the way it is. Because the words that are used here in the Hebrew are also, they can just mean what they say, but they're also, actually, there's three words here that all, in this one little phrase, that are all could be used as a euphemism for a sexual encounter. So, what that does is a Hebrew reader, he reads that, and he's getting the same impression we are, like, whoa, and it gets the attention, because there are these sexual overtones. Well, what, what is being said here? Because that could be either way. And so this is what happens. And even though that wording contains that potential meaning, we actually know from the text and the way this plays out, what happens next, that it did not involve, did not involve sexual contact. And by the way, I'm not trying to whitewash Scripture because there's a bunch of places in the Bible where there is some graphic sexual things happening that shouldn't have happened, Right? it's just this isn't one of those but anyway the wording's there that makes you you know go whoa 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 i got to focus in what is happening here they're both of noble character and they continue to do things god's way and we actually see their character in what happens next and that brings us to scene 2 all right scene 2 all right scene 2 the middle of the night all right are you ready okay we'll start with verse 6 talking about ruth So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law had commanded her. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came secretly and uncovered his feet and lay down. It happened in the middle of the night that, that the man was startled and bent forward, and behold, a young woman was lying at his feet, and he said, who are you? And she answered, I'm Ruth, your maid. Spread your covering over your maid, for you are a close relative. Then he said, May you be blessed of the Lord, my daughter. You have shown your last kindness to be better than the first by not going after young men, whether poor or rich. See the scene in the middle of the night. Boaz, he's sleeping by his grain pile. He's protecting it. All of a sudden, he shifts or he pulls his covers back over his feet or whatever the case may be, and he notices there's someone at his feet. It's a woman. And he's saying, who is it? And Ruth says, it's me, Ruth, your maidservant. Spread your wings, your cover over me, for you're a kinsman of mine. Basically what's happening there? is she has gone a little rogue off of Naomi's plans? We don't know that Naomi said anything about this. She basically does what Naomi says, but then she continues on and says, Hey, marry me. This is a proposal to marriage. Spread your covering over me, for you are a close kinsman. You can be my kinsman redeemer. It's marriage that she's talking about. And Boaz, and by the way, she doesn't know how Boaz is going to react. It's kind of interesting that this all plays out at night. Because at night, if Boaz doesn't want her or rejects her, then it sort of saves the embarrassment from Boaz or maybe Ruth. You know, it it could kind of be smoothed over. But that's not what happens. Boaz, he's like, whoa, this is a great day. Boaz, she might have been unprepared for his enthusiasm because he says, whatever you want, I will do. He says, I will make sure you're provided for. I will do it. But then he says, there's a hitch. Oh, there's a hitch. There's a a problem with the plan. And here's the hitch, verse 11. Now my daughter... Do not fear. I will do for you whatever you ask. For all my people in the city know that you are a woman of excellence. This, by the way, this woman of excellence, this is the same thing, the same word described in Proverbs 31 of the woman of excellence. Same exact wording in the Hebrew. You are a woman of excellence. Now, it is true I am a close relative. However, here's the hitch, however... There is a relative closer than I. Remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will not redeem you, I'm sorry, if he will redeem you, good, let him redeem you. But if he does not wish to redeem you, then I will redeem you as the Lord lives. And then he says, lie down until morning. So Boaz, this happens to him. He wakes up, he's startled, and he continues to be amazed and impressed by Ruth. You know, he's blown away that she would marry him and and knows that she could marry, you know, other people that she wanted, whether they were rich or poor, a younger man, more her age. But she proposes, he knows, to honor God and to provide for her mother in law, Naomi. But Ruth. But Boaz tells Ruth, You don't know this, and Naomi may not have known this either, but there's a closer relative. The only person who could redeem was the closest relative, and Boaz is number two on the list, not number one. So he basically says to her, Look, I'm going to make, I can't believe that you would even consider marrying me. Wow, what an honor. I appreciate that. I'm in. But I'm not first in line. So, I'm gonna make sure that you and your mother are per- protected and provided for. I'm gonna to go to this number one guy, and if he won't do it, I will. And so that's how it plays out. So then he says, hey, lay back down. They wait till very early in the morning. He has her get up. It's sort of before the sun's fully up. Hard to recognize people. She's trying to protect her reputation. He says, hey, give me your shawl. She holds out her shawl. And then he dumps a bunch of grain in that shawl, even more than she had before, bundles that up and sort of helps her lift that so she can go with that as a gift to Naomi. Naomi. And when, Naomi, when she comes back and tells Naomi what happened and the gift that's presented to Naomi, all the grain, Naomi knows, oh, this guy's on it, right? That's what's happening. He'll take action. And now we're ready for scene three. Right, scene three. Scene three, Boaz redeems. Don't you just love that name? Boaz redeems. That's cool. Boaz redeems Ruth, right? He acts quickly. Now, in that day and age, you took care of business before the day started or after the day started. Boaz doesn't wait till after the day. First thing in the morning, he's there. Here's how it it comes. Chapter four, verse one. Now, Boaz went up to the gate and sat down there and behold, the close relative of whom Boaz spoke was passing by. So he said, turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. He took 10 men of the elders of the city and said, sit down here. So they sat down. What's going on? The city gate is the courthouse. That's where all the important transactions happen. That's where everybody passed by when they went to work in the fields and they came back when they were done with work. And that's where you conducted business. And you always did that with witnesses. So when Boaz sees this closer relative, and says, hey, come and sit. This guy knows, oh, we're talking business. What's going on? And then Boaz gets another 10 guys, and they sit down too. And then this guy knows, oh, this is serious business. This is business that requires witnesses. This is big. So he's prepared. So that's, that's the picture, verse 3. Then he said to the closest relative, Naomi, who has come back from the land of Moab, has to sell the piece of land which belonged to our brother Elimelech. So I thought to inform you, saying, buy it before those who are sitting here and before the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if not, tell me that I may know. For there is no one but you to redeem it, and I am after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi... You must also acquire Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of the deceased, in order to raise up the name of the deceased on his inheritance. The closest relative said, I cannot redeem it for myself because I would jeopardize my own inheritance. Redeem it for yourself. You may have my right of redemption for I cannot redeem it. So you get it. follow along the story. It's a great story. He finds a closer relative. He says, hey, remember, Naomi came back from Moab. You need to buy this land. And scholars debate this wording, you know, does Naomi own this land or she just owns the right to buy the land is kind of what's going on here. And he says, if you want to buy the land, buy the land, buy the land. You're first in line. I'm second. If you don't do it, I will. It's interesting because Boaz could have started with Ruth. And then went to the land. But he didn't. He starts with a, It's almost like Boaz's plan is to get this guy thinking financially first. And the guy's like, oh, buying land. We can't buy land every day. We're not making more land. Land. And he's thinking, yeah, I think I can swing this. I think I could put the finances together. You know, it'd be like for us. Yeah, if I mortgaged the house, if I did this, I could scrape this money together. I'll make this happen. And in the long run, I'm going to be better off. I'm going to have more land. That's how you make money. So he says, I'll take it. And right when the guy's thinking, hey, these dollar signs could add up, this could make financial sense, then Boaz drops the bomb, right? Oh, and by the way, as you know, you'll be caring for Naomi for the rest of her life if you buy the land. And then there's Ruth, the Moabitess. Ruth, the Moabitess. You know, you need to marry her. And oh, by the way, after you marry her, you realize that the firstborn male, and and, and it's your obligation to do everything you can to make sure there are children, and that firstborn male, he gets the inheritance that we're talking about. It doesn't go to any of your other offspring. It's all his. Everything that belonged to Malon would belong to him. And so financially, this is not making so much sense anymore. Because now it's like, okay, here's what i got to do. We've got to do without now in the short term to be better off in the long term by having more land. So actually, we got to scrape up all the money we have, purchase this land... And in the meantime, I've got to take care of Naomi. And in the meantime, I've got to take care of Ruth. And in the meantime, I've got to make sure that Ruth has children. And in the meantime, as soon as that firstborn male child is born, when he gets about 13, 14, or 15 years old, then all the land that I just worked and sweated to get, all that goes to him. And now our original state is worse off than it was because of all the money we put into that estate. Does that make sense? So all of a sudden, this isn't so great. And he's saying, I'll put my own inheritance in jeopardy. My children are going to end up with less with this plan than they would. So that's how, and the man gives up his right. And he confirms it, you know, we're told with this old cultural ceremony, The the writers tell us, oh, back in the day when this happened, they would confirm a sale of land by taking off your shoe. So you're in the middle of all these elders, and because land was so important and there could be no mistake about it, they had this weird culture of practice where the guy selling land would take off one shoe and hand it to the guy. And then the guy would have his shoe and everybody would know, oh, yeah, that means you're giving up your right for the land. And we don't know where that came from. It might come from, you know, how we talk about walking the land. I mean, when you buy some land, what do you do? You want to walk the land. And it might be a symbol just, okay, I don't have the right to walk the land anymore. That right is now your right, symbolized in my sandal, that you can walk the land. So that kind of happens out that way. And then the people at the gate, they joyously witness the transaction. And they start singing praises to God. And they pray for blessing on Boaz and Ruth. And then that brings us to scene number four. Right, scene number four. Boaz marries Ruth. What we can see through the whole story is that God works through even hardship, even disobedience, even suffering to bring about His plan. And notice how this all plays out. Notice the love that sort of floats to the surface in all this. I mean, here you have Naomi. She's taking this action why? For Ruth's best interest. And then Ruth is taking action. Why? For Naomi's best interest. And then Boaz is taking action. Why? For Ruth and Naomi's best interest. And we see all these people doing what's best for others. And, and Boaz is blown away when he says that you've shown your last kindness to be better than the first. He's like, wow, I was impressed when you were taking care of Naomi for life that you didn't have to do that. And now you're willing to marry me? Wow. And remember how Ruth looked at Boaz. Remember that one time, it was in the last chapter, she bows down and says, why have I found favor in your sight that you would even take notice of me when he starts providing for her in the field? It's like the best case scenario for a marriage. Yeah, I've done wedding ceremonies for like 30 years. A lot of you in here have done, done your wedding. But think about it, and we can all get this. When, when one person, say, say, the, say the groom, he's like, yeah, I want to marry my, this, this bride. And I want to spend the rest of my life, because that's what marriage is, a lifetime commitment. I want to spend the rest of my life serving her and providing for her. And then if you talk to the bride and she's like, oh, yeah, I want to get married. I want to make a vow before God to spend the rest of my life loving and serving him. How do you think that marriage is going to go? Pretty good, right? Because they're both going, hey, all I want to do is serve the other person. That's what marriage should be. So it continues in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth. And she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive, because she hadn't before with her other husband, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed is the Lord who has not left you without a Redeemer today, and may his name become famous in Israel. May he also be to you a restorer of life and a sustainer of your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, is better to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her lap and became his nurse. And the women gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. And they named him Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And so there you have it. it, it the book ends with a genealogy. It's a key genealogy because it connects the line of Judah with the line of the kings and King David. So it's placed right here. As a matter of fact, next week in our next series, we're going in. There's First and Second Samuel. We'll be there. And then kings. We'll be. We're going to follow this line a little bit. In our next series, as far as chronologically is concerned, because it just so happened a few years after this happened in Ruth's life that the people of Israel cried out for a king. And it just so happened that God gave them kings. And it just so happened that the greatest king in all of Israel was King David. The great-grandson of Ruth and Boaz, King David, key in history. And God uses everyday people in everyday circumstances to do amazing things. And that's not the end of it because it just so happens that God said from the line of David from this king, the king that God described as a man after my own heart, King David, the line of David, the line of this king, there will come the greatest king in the universe, the Messiah. And he, this future king, he will be the son of God. And he, as God and man, will be the only person qualified to redeem the world of their sin debt. And that's exactly what happened through Jesus the Messiah, son of man, son of David, died on the cross for payment to redeem us, not just in this life, but to redeem us, to pay our sin debt for eternity if we would respond to him in faith. And so we see how God uses everyday people. Even in wrong circumstances like Elimelech rebelling from God. didn't help Elimelech any, but God still has a plan. Even in a country that kept swinging to God and wildly away from God, the culture kept zagging and zipping you know, just one way to the other, God still has a plan. God can work through all of that. And God can work through our lives today in ways that we cannot see yet if we just remain faithful follow him let's stand together for prayer Father God in heaven God we thank you for this true story of Ruth and and how you used her a, a foreign Moabite pagan who started following you and started doing the right thing and you used her to change history not only history of Israel but history in the world Through her, we've all been blessed. And God, thank you for the reminder that you want to use us in the same way. Even through bad times, even hard times, even when we can't see it, when we don't understand, you have a plan. Help us to just keep doing the right thing. And that starts when we come to you Asking for forgiveness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.